This is a podcast from Minute Media. Coming up on the Baseball Insiders, Mike Schilt, gone, why? And we've got some wild action in both the NLCS and the ALCS. And we've got a personal story with Kike Hernandez and our Baseball Insider, our hero, Robert Murray. Stay tuned. The Baseball Insiders starts right now. Welcome to the Baseball Insiders podcast with Mark Carmen and Robert Murray. So, Bert, tell me what happened to uh, Mike Schilt. By the way, good to see you, brother. Happy baseball, NLCS, ALCS to you. 18 years, the Cardinals organization. Three years, the skipper in the playoffs every year. See you later, Mike Schilt. It's a tough world out there. Yeah, that was absolutely mind-blowing to me. I, I saw the Cardinals ended up announcing a press conference, and I automatically assumed that they were announcing a Mike Schilt extension. And not long later, not or like shortly thereafter, I get the tweet notification from Jeff Passan that the Cardinals have fired Mike Schilt. And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on here? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Cause Schilt had made the playoffs three years in a row um, and seemed like an obvious candidate to be back in the long term. Um, but in reality, they had quote unquote philosophical differences between Schilt and the president of baseball operations, John Mosaliak. Um, and it was enough where the front office decided that they needed to part ways with Schilt. They informed him over a phone call, which I thought was really weird. They didn't have like the courtesy of bringing him in or, or meeting with him somewhere and informing him that he was gone. Um, but now the Cardinals are forced with, or they're tasked to replace Schilt. And that's not going to be easy because he was absolutely loved in that clubhouse by every single player. So that's super interesting. Number one, our baseball insider and I don't mean to underline this, but you, Robert Murray, who knows all of baseball, was actually caught off guard here, which is very, very rare. I don't think it's actually ever happened before, damn it. And, <laughs> and, and, and number two, you know, he's, I didn't realize that he was beloved like that. Mm-hmm. And the Cardinals are keeping the entire coaching staff and may promote from within. So mm-hmm. this is clearly an issue with the GM and the manager and or that the old implementation of analytics, I see that being floated out there in a bunch of pieces. It always seems to come down to he's old school and he doesn't want to, you know, watch the computer or listen to the computer. Is, are you hearing like that was the key factor? Yeah. Like friend of the show, Katie Wu actually talked to um, Mike Schilt on the record. He was, he's the, it was the only time that he's gone on the record to talk about it. And he admitted um, that there was some truth to the reports that Schilt w- wanted to like, stay away from analytics. I shouldn't say stay away, but um, the front office wanted more analytics while Schilt was like hesitant to do that. Um, and that was one of the key things that resulted in them parting ways. I like, as you said, I, I'm not often caught off guard by a lot of these things, but that one, it was stunning. And the fact that they're, they're keeping the entire coaching staff that's going to make it a lot more difficult to find a quality outside candidate, um, which is why I think they ultimately promote from within. And I, you would have to imagine the favorite to replace Schilt is Oliver Marmol, their current bench coach. He actually drew rave reviews from Schilt um, for, or for potential managerial jobs outside of the organization. And I, I would imagine he's the leader in the clubhouse going into these interviews and we'll see if that's the case going forward. But um, I, I just, I don't think firing Schilt was the right move for the Cardinals. 
I did not know that Katie Wu of The Athletic is a friend of the program. So that's a big addition to the program right there. That piece, she did a great piece on, on Schilt. I loved reading it. Oh, yeah. You know, she's phenomenal. Yeah. And that, the fact that she was able to, to get Schilt was, uh, was impressive because I know everybody in baseball has been trying to get that. Interesting. All right. Well, there's one thing about the Cardinals, though. Say what you want. And it's, you know, it's, I guess it's been a minute since uh, they've gone deep in the playoffs, but they're always there. And so I, I kind of, this is a, uh, and Mosella keeps on burning through managers here. This is his third hire since 2017, but I kind of always just the card. I give the Cardinals the benefit of the doubt. Most times, like you, maybe they think that they're going to be better promoting from within. That's what it sounds like. That's how they're seeing it clearly. Yeah, that's exactly how they're seeing it. And the fact that they're on their third manager, at least the front office is right now, it puts a ton of pressure on them to get this thing right. And if they don't, that's going to be a clean house. They're going to fire everybody. Um, and that's why if I was the front office, I would give serious consideration to any possibility whatsoever, whether that's a top outside candidate, top inside candidate, and being willing to part ways with the coaching staff is if that's what their top candidate wants. You don't want to fit any candidate um, into a, a job that they, or you don't want to fit them a square peg into a round hole. Um, and that's what they're possibly doing here with, with keeping the coaching staff, no matter who the manager is. And it's, it's a very dangerous game they're playing. It's putting a lot of pressure on themselves. You have to give them, as you said, the benefit of the doubt because they've gotten these decisions right in the past, but um, this is, this is a very risky move. All right, let's move forward into trying to change baseball for the better. And no, we're not talking about robot umps today, even though <laughs> the way the Dodgers giants series ended on a check swing was just straight painful. And that's not the reason the Giants lost, but that just that that sucked. And it actually kept me up for I think that game finished about midnight central time and I was up for another 30 minutes. And I don't even care about the Giants and or the Dodgers for the record. I don't know if it bothered you to the, to the level that it bothered me. No, it, it bothered me. But like the fact that it got you fired up, too. I love it, Carm. <laughs> I should have started texting you late at night, Bert. I'm not going to sleep because I you know what bothered me about that play more than anything else? Uh, who was the first base umpire? Do you know who it was? I can't remember off the top of my head. Look, it doesn't matter. Umpire, standard, standard umpire. He makes the call, you know, boom, with the fist. He swung, and then he walks with such a, there's no doubt about it, I absolutely know what I'm talking about, walk. Uh, and and then he's wrong. You know, it, I, I, it's, there's, there's that cockiness that, and I know they have to present that they're in control Mm-hmm. that's part of the gig, but he, he's got that, that all that y'all powerful walk. And then like, dude, you just ended a series between two teams who won 107 and 106 games on a call. That was just horrendous. And I know they want to get it right, but that, but brutal, absolutely brutal. Like replay should have been able to be impl- implemented there. No, I totally agree with you. And the fact that he was able to walk around so confident after making that call to me, it was like salt in the wound for the Giants because they got absolutely screwed in that. I'm not going to hold any punches in that. Like he did not swing. Like there was no way that he swung. Um, and for the like for such an, a classic series to end in that fashion is just it's a brutal way of going out, especially when you win 107 games but nobody expected you to, to get there. Like I equated that call in the moment to Jim Joyce. Um, wow. Screwing over uh, Armando Galarraga's perfect game through eight and two thirds innings at first base. Like 
that was a play that I watched in my childhood that I'll never forget because it was clear as day. They, they got him out and um, it should have been a perfect game, but in reality, you got screwed out of it. And the giants had that same exact situation happen to them. And um, I, I, it sucks as a baseball fan. Um, you also got to realize that these umpires are human. They make mistakes, but in that moment, you can't make a mistake. It's, right. it's too big of a stage. Right. Well, and, and actually you should be able to, and that's why we have replay and that should have been a replayable thing. And Gabe Morales, by the way, was his name. We don't leave umpires to make mistakes names off this podcast, even though we're not saying that it was completely Gabe's fault because Hey, Gabe, you're a human being just like uh, Robert Murray is. And just like yours truly Mark Carmen is and just like everybody is. And I need somebody to have my back on this podcast, which is why Michael Zach is producing this when I uh, do something that's not worthy of uh, internet consumption. So yeah. Gabe should have had the same benefit. But here, let me let me let's segue to a different look here because that was a phenomenal series. Yep. You know, five games, the whole thing, drama. But the Giants won 107 games. The Dodgers won 106. It's not just representative, by the way, to this series. But logically, should we not seed the playoffs based on? The records. So the Giants would have been the one seed. The Dodgers and the NL would have been the two. The three seed would have been the Brewers. The four, 95 wins. The four seed would have been the Braves, 88. Then you would have had, oh no, I'm sorry. The four seed would have been the Cardinals at 90. The five seed would have been the Braves at 88. And then your other, uh, who am I, and that's it. That's that. And that's how it would have gone. Okay. So, Cardinals host uh, Braves in a wild card game, and 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 then and then we we line up the division series. Do you think baseball will make this change? You know, I'm a traditionalist. I like things done that they way, the way they are. But in this case, I absolutely think that they should be changed. And this year, there was no greater example of that. Like what the series that we've talked about, the Giants and the Dodgers should not have been the NLDS. That should have been seven games in the NLCS. Um, and the fact that it wasn't, and we're looking at the Giants sitting home or like sitting at home watching these playoffs on their couches after one series, like that's that's a gut punch because uh, it's 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 infuriating to me, Carm. Um, the best teams they should have the benefit of the doubt. And that being said, we have seen teams like the Atlanta Braves really step up here, and maybe that's possible. Maybe they end up beating one of the Dodgers or the Giants, and we've seen them beat the, the Dodgers in the first two games here. Um, like, but these, the best teams in the playoffs should have the benefit of the doubt. Um, and we should have a Dodgers and, and giants possibility at least for the NLCS. Well, right. They earned the advantage. This is the, they, they played better. Henceforth, they get the higher seed and they get in theory to play the weaker opponent. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately baseball fans get the best matchup and they get to enjoy the highest level of competition. That's what we're trying to do here. This is not rocket science. It's not limited. And I get it. When you play in a division, you the, the way that the schedule is stacked, you have more games within your division. So they're trying to, I guess, reward division play based somewhat on the schedule, but Listen, baseball's random enough that they certainly could reseed the playoffs. And then you and in my mind, then you reseed it after the after the DS that gets reseeded. Same thing, you know. So this is basic stuff. Come on, Rob Manfred, it's, it's in you can you can do this. This is not over your pay grade. 
Um, but we are getting a very interesting NLCS here. The mm-hmm. Atlanta Braves up two games to none as we're recording here on, on Monday morning on the Dodgers. Of course, they led the Dodgers last year two games to none, and L.A. came back to win the series. Dodgers had to travel cross-country. Dodgers had to pitch, pitch Matt Scherzer in game five. The Dodgers are not out of this series, but we've got a Robert Murray inside piece on a one Atlanta Brave in Austin Riley, who you may not know, but uh, Robert does straight out of DeSoto Central High School and a Mississippi State Bulldog. Damn it, uh, you've got you've got you've got dibs on on Riley here and and the Braves. So let me hear let me hear the 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 Burt angle as to why this is exciting for you. Yeah, like Austin Riley is a really interesting guy to me. He's somebody who coming up, I was told by the guy who ended up draft or who was responsible for um, his rise to the major leagues. I was told by him that the Braves were the one of 30 teams who viewed him as a position player and not a pitcher. Um, and the Braves took a huge gamble and they got ripped for it when they took them in the first round. Um, but immediately, as soon as Mike Brumley, the guy who worked with, with Riley started working with him, he realized that this kid had massive potential. He worked hand in hand, uh, with Kyle Seeger and he saw a similar kind of path for Riley. Um, and they worked, uh, Riley would fly to him each off season in Fort Worth, Texas, and they would work on different things with his swing. Um, they would do different drills. They would do different things and, it did not take long for them to build a really everlasting relationship. Like they are close to this day. Um, like they will, or Bromley will see things in Riley's swing watching on TV. He'll see one swing and realize, okay, this is wrong with his swing. This is right with his swing. Like he knows his swing better than anybody. Um, and after Riley's 2019 season, um, he told me that he was, he was doubting himself as a baseball player. He was not sure despite being a top prospect, despite being a first round pick, he was not sure that he could end up being a major league baseball player. And he sought out um, Brumley. He sought out Josh Donaldson. Um, He sought out a lot of different people and he worked with Brumley. He studied video of himself and Brumley ended up telling him, that he's got buck fever when there's two strikes on the, on the count. And I, I, like, I asked Brumley, like, what do you mean by buck fever? And his response was, you know, when you see a deer, when you're sitting in the stand and your heart starts to race and you're hesitant to pull the trigger, that's exactly what it was for Riley. And he told him, or he asked him, when you see that buck in your sights, because Riley's a huge, he's a big time hunter. When you see that buck in your sight, like, how do you end up pulling a trigger? And he says, breathe. And Bromley tells him, do that. Like, do that. Like, breathe when you when you get the two strikes. And as soon as he ended up telling him that, or, uh, Riley took off. And like, hearing this story, there was more to it with his swing. But I thought that was a really interesting part of Bromley's work is, like, he tries to relate baseball to things that Riley's interested in, whether it's hunting, it's fishing, shooting a bow, um, like stuff like that, outdoor stuff. Cause they have a lot in common when it comes to those kind of things. Um, it, it worked. And if it wasn't for those conversations with Brumley, Riley is, he's not sure he'd be in this position today. And I thought him opening up about that and his mental struggles was really interesting to me. 
And now here he is. He's got the Braves up two games or nothing against the, the Dodgers. Sitting 364 in the playoffs, on base of 417, OPS of 1.098, couple of homers, uh, playing third, batting cleanup for the Braves. For the record, I cannot provide any expertise on hunting. And, uh, hey, me neither. Me and neither. I, and I think anybody who kills a deer is, in general, a terrible person. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah thank goodness i haven't killed a deer you can't call me a terrible person yeah yeah I, I understand the deer are overpopulated he's probably in and at the end of the day doing something that certainly is not hurting society so i got it all right austin riley that's good stuff though bert really uh, i appreciate the background there uh, i got i uh you know one of my favorite reads is is jason stark in the athletic and He's got all some all sorts of stats going on in this series. Game one, the Braves hitters struck out 14 times. Um, game two, they walked the Dodgers nine times and hit one with a wild pitch. So his what he writes before this game, teams that walked nine or more hitters in any nine-inning postseason game were 10 and 32. So that's a 238 winning percentage, worse than the 1962 Mets. Walked nine or more times, but didn't score more than the five runs the Braves scored. Three and 29. Um, so the formula for what's going on here is not built to last for the Braves, which is why I think if I had to bet my life on who's going to win this series, I still would take the Dodgers. Would you? I, absolutely, I would. I think what the Braves have done through two games is is pretty remarkable. Having Jock Tober and and Austin Riley do what they're doing, uh, like Jock Tober. I mean, you got to see it. It's a real thing. Jock Tober is. I'm all I'm all weirded out by Jock Peterson because he was a Cub for a little while, and I liked him. But then I started to think he was a, like I heard stuff in the clubhouse that he was kind of not the most popular guy, and so he goes off to Atlanta. And I figured that the Braves would miss the playoffs because that's what everybody thought the Braves were going to do. And now he's – I'm enjoying the fact, though, that he's getting to do this against his former team the year after they let him go. That's pretty sweet. Oh, unbelievable how good that is. Yeah, like if you're, if you're Jock Peterson, you got to be savoring that. Like there's not many people who have the opportunity to, to do that. Um, but that being said, I do think the Dodgers end up coming back. And the stats that Jason Stark is able to pull up are just remarkable. I mean, like he's the best in the business for a reason. Yeah. He he's he's unbelievable. The only other time the Braves have strung back to back uh uh walk-off wins in the postseason was that would be nineteen that'd be thirty years ago, nineteen ninety-one, games four and five against the Minnesota Twins, which I don't think you remember that World Series, Robert Murray, but I do, and it was a f- like of all like my favorite World Series of all time, that's right up there. It was a great one. Man. Jack Morris in the dome, so it was Kirby Puckett. It was it was something, man. Yeah, I, like, I know who those guys are. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't even a twinkle in the eye at that point. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's tough. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are you seeing anything with Freddie Freeman? By the way, is it just a good Dodger pitching? Over seven is his first seven at bats with seven strikeouts. Yeah, that's uh, that's just a credit to Dodger pitching. And it's also like they mentioned it on the broadcast yesterday that it shows just how tough it is to be a major league baseball hitter. Uh, like you hit that or like the game winning home run against Josh Hader, arguably the best reliever in baseball. And then the next seven at bats, you strike out um, like you hear all the time from these these hitters, just how hard it is to hit a pitch. And like this is like the perfect example of that. And it like it takes me back 
to a conversation that I had with Christian Yelich and like, I, I, and then also he's, he mentioned it publicly as well. Um, like I, he's told, or Yelich has told me many times how hard it is to hit a, a baseball, like especially when it's coming 95 miles an hour at you with movement. And I wanted to take batting practice with him um, like against this. And like, we agreed to it, but like COVID happened and we weren't able to do it, but he was asked by somebody like, out of like a thousand pitches or whatever it was against Jacob deGrom, how many hits would you get? And Yelich said zero. And he was confident in that. And like, if that isn't, if Freddie Freeman struggles against the Dodgers, isn't the perfect example of that. I don't know what is like, he'll be fine. Like Freeman's too good of a hitter to keep at this level. But um, yeah, like like the Dodgers pitching is, is remarkable. But Yelich is saying that you would get zero hits out of a thousand, not him. Correct. Yeah. Yelich is saying that I would get zero hit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's not saying that about himself. He's a very confident human being. <laughs> okay. Just making sure I heard that correctly. No, that, that's a good <laughs> clarification. I don't want to like, give any Yelich slander on this pod. That's, that's uh, not okay. going to I know you're, you're a big Yelly guy. And uh, yeah, I, I am too. The guy, he's, uh, when he was available, I, I wish the teams that I rooted for traded for him instead of the Milwaukee Brewers, which speaking of guys that you're tight with, uh, let's move over to the ALCS and the Red Sox and Astros uh, playing tonight. Game is a series tied up at one apiece. Kike Hernandez making all world plays in center field, not perfect form, kind of overrunning some balls and but reaching back and getting in the glove and having fun with it. I, I'm a huge fan of Kike. He, he killed the Cubs when he was a Dodger, uh, and he's killing the Astros right now. This is this is a longtime guy for you. It's one of your buds. Yeah. So when I first got into baseball, um, I had this Twitter account at the time. I probably had fifteen hundred to two thousand followers, and Kike Hernandez followed me. Um, and all of a sudden, I was I was like I was just getting in, into the breaking news business. I get a text saying, "Hey, there's a trade between the Marlins and the Dodgers." And one of the players is Kike Hernandez. He's going to LA and I'm like, Oh yeah, this guy follows me. Um, let's, let's give him a, a let's give him a, a shout over DM here. So I say, Hey, um, Kike, I, I hear you're going to the Dodgers in a trade. Um, have you heard that? And he responds right away with what? Uh, and, <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no. Like I said, your name is Kike Hernandez. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah. You just got traded to the Dodgers. And all of a sudden, like, I don't get a response for a while. And then he's like, dude, I had, I, I was in Puerto Rico at the time and he pulled over on the side of the road to respond to me. Then he drove back home to go tell his family he got traded. And here I am thinking like, it hasn't been confirmed yet. Like I could have been like a village idiot here um, telling a player he got traded when he didn't, but it turns out like my source is right. He got traded. And like throughout that entire process, he was asking me for updates on like, the trade and it took a while for it to become official. And, um, and like, we've been friendly ever since I haven't talked to him in quite a bit, but, um, like he's, he's a really good dude. And like seeing him, um, succeed it like this, it's been, it's been pretty awesome because you got to see it with the Dodgers and we're seeing it now with the Red Sox. Like he's an energizer buddy and he's the kind of guy who makes any team better. I'm kind of irritated that I, that I didn't like double down on my, cause he was so good with LA yeah. And he came out of nowhere. I think it was the 2017 playoffs that he popped up, like um, uh, just in an enormous fashion against the Cubs. I'd have to check the numbers, but like 
that dude, I would take him on my team any day of the week. He plays with an enthusiasm. He's got significant pop. He looks like he knows what he's doing in the outfield. Like, you just want that guy on his team, on your team. And, of course, he's jumped on over to the Red Sox, and he's getting her done. Uh, what chance do you give Boston winning that series, by the way? I give him a, a, a very good chance. Um Going into this, I thought the I thought the Astros would win probably in six games, but with the way that the Astros' pitching's lined up, um, I, I feel pretty good about the Red Sox, especially with the swagger they're playing with. Like after they lost Game One, usually you see teams like they're somber, um, they're like they're they're down, and the Red Sox were confident, they were calm, and they were saying we were just in this position in the last round. We lost the first game, and they ended up coming back. I would not bet against the Red Sox. Like they're the underdog, obviously, but they have three games now in Boston. They've proven that they can win in Houston. Uh, like they had like two grand slams in the first two innings. Like it's two grand slams have never happened in a postseason game ever, but like let alone in the first two innings. Like, like give me the Red Sox in this series. I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about them, especially as I said with the way the Astros pitching is lined up. Yeah. So Houston uh, is obviously without Lance McCullers, who is not on the roster for the series and probably I would assume is done for the playoffs if the Astros are able to advance. Um, but they also, Luis Garcia, who started game two, he had to leave with right knee discomfort. Then they turned to Jake Odorizzi, who obviously was not expected to pitch that day. He was supposed to be their game four starter. Dusty Baker's going to have to work some magic, and this is a guy who – really tends to use the players that he likes the most. So it's not necessarily a great matchup with his baseball philosophy. He's not apt to just take risks and put on random pitches here. So he's, he, it's a great chance he's going to tire out his guys and they're not going to, as the, if the series does go long, he's going to be squeezing every last bit out of the lemon to get something left. And that might not be enough against the Red Sox teams. I think that's how you're seeing it. No, exactly. That's exactly how I'm seeing it. And, a big like game three is crucial for the Astros because I'm going to call game three a must win for them, but it's also a they, they need to get length from their game three starter because if they have another game where the starter goes out early and they have to use the bullpen heavily again, game four is looking like a very likely bullpen game for them. And you would look at games five through seven with a you, you would go into games five through seven with a gas bullpen. Um, and that's just a disaster, especially with the amount of injuries they have in the rotation already. Uh, like I'm, I'm not sounding the alarm yet on the Astros since it's one to one. Like that'd be too early. But if they lose game two, or if they lose game three, then I think it's time to let, start looking at them and being like, are are they going to be able to beat the Red Sox here? Yeah. So let's wrap up our baseball insiders on this Monday. Great to be with you throughout the playoffs on a overriding baseball question here, Bert, which is, does Robert Murray, baseball insider, a man who is letting Kike Hernandez know that he's being traded, do you believe in baseball momentum? Because one team, one team, again, from our friend Jason Stark, believe it or not here, only one team in history has ever lost game one of any best of seven series on a walk-off and come back to win it. And no team has done it in over six decades. It's 1958, the New York Yankees beating the Braves for the record. Uh, and so momentum here, Bert, 
They win game one in a walk-up. They win game two in a walk-up. Now, we're both sitting here saying that the Dodgers are going to win the series. But if you believe in baseball momentum, then do you I cannot – so, so maybe you don't. Oh, I absolutely do believe in, in baseball momentum, especially in the postseason. Like, so in this series, if we're talking specifically the Braves and the Dodgers, if you're up two games and nothing, you got to be feeling good, especially against the Dodgers. Like you're feeling good. You're riding the momentum and you're, you're playing loose. You're playing energized. And, and if you're the Dodgers, like you have the opposite of momentum. Like what's the opposite of momentum? Like, Death. Well, it, well I, I, <laughs> I don't think the Dodgers are death quite yet. I mean, maybe if they lose four games, but I, I like that though, Carmen. That's, that's, that's a good answer. That's what it feels like in the moment. That's why I use that word. Like if you, it, it just feels like you got no chance. Honestly, like I totally feel you there. And like the Dodgers are, they're feeling like that. <laughs> like you're down two games and nothing. Um, and you're in a must win situation in game three. If you lose, like you're not like there's hardly any teams if ever who've come back from three Oh um, and you got to run the table out. That being said, if there's ever a team who could pull it off, it's the Dodgers with that lineup, with that pitching staff, but the pitching staff, they're in trouble. Um, you ended up having Scherzer um, who said he's got a dead arm. Uh, Urias who just pitched one inning and he's supposed to be the game four starter and maybe not anymore. Um, like, so like they're beatable, but I think playoff momentum is absolutely a real thing. The Braves have it right now, but the Dodgers have enough where enough talent where they can overcome the Braves momentum and come back. So maybe that doesn't answer your question, but firmly, I believe in playoff baseball momentum. You definitely dodged it in the, in the end. And I would just, you know, I would fly up 1984, 11 year old Carm. Cubs up two games to none on the Padres, lost three in a row. Let's go 2003, up 3-1 on the Marlins, lost three in a row. I mean, and then, but to your point also, if I stick with the Cubs, 07-08, Dodgers come in, Diamondbacks come in, one win, two win, three wins, there's no turning it around. I tend to believe in momentum in baseball is today's starting pitcher, but maybe momentum in this case will actually play out because the Dodgers are scuffling to figure out who's going to be their starting pitchers with how the series has unfolded at this point. Got to give credit, I guess, to the Giants and our friend Hunter Armour, I suppose, bittersweet pill losing, but maybe they dented LA for the Dodgers, for the Braves. Yeah, no, they totally did. Like the, uh, like that series took a lot out of both teams and whoever was playing the Braves, they weren't going to be, at a hundred percent because they went all out to win that series. And like, that's not to slight the Braves because like what they've done is super impressive, but um, you're exactly right. Like they took a huge dent out of the Dodgers and, and the Braves have outplayed them, but like, that's definitely helped them out for sure. Congratulations. Hashtag for the a see if you can keep it rolling in LA. Bert. Good to be with you, brother. Hey, good to be with you too. My friend, you're the man. Austin Riley, Kike Hernandez, give us a follow. I know you love this podcast. Uh, maybe we can get Kike and or Austin on the show at some point down the line. Think we can get that done, Bert? Can we do that? Can that happen? Oh, I'll, I'll hound him until it happens, Carl. 100 text messages, here we come. <laughs> That's, that is the dedication to the Baseball Insiders, uh, in, in particular, Bert brings you. All right, thanks for listening. We will see you next time and continue to enjoy the uh, AL and NLCS. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Insiders.